0: Hey there, it's Mary. All week long, we are revisiting some of the personal conversations we've had with people at the center of the news. Today, you're going to hear from Lauren Hall. Two weeks after Roe v. Wade was overturned, Lauren received a devastating fetal diagnosis. But her doctor was straight with her. She couldn't get the care she needed in her home state of Texas.
1: She said, if you do go to term, like, the baby's going to be stillborn. You can't get help here. You have to leave.
0: So Lauren did leave. But after getting an abortion halfway across the country, she became one of 13 plaintiffs asking Texas to clarify exactly what kind of medical exceptions exist in its abortion ban. Recently, a district court judge ruled in their favor, but the state immediately appealed. So for now, pregnant Texans remain in limbo until that process finishes up. All right, here's the show. If you walked into Lauren Hall's house, here's how you'd know she's pregnant. Tables, counters, they're cluttered with ultrasounds, as if her fetus was spending most of its time in a photo booth.
1: They're laying everywhere. They're laying absolutely everywhere, just like ribbons of sonograms.
0: How much do you know about the baby? Um, As much as I can know. Lauren's in her second trimester, and this desire for information, I remember it so well from my own pregnancies. Like I was a landlord, and I wanted the full rundown on my new
1: tenant. Primarily, I just wanted to see baby's head has developed, heart is beating. I don't care if there's one arm and one leg, or I don't care. That's fine. They're good. They can be alive. They can be happy. I'm good. <laughs> I know that, you know,
0: you were pregnant before and you were so psyched when that happened. Like I've read about I've read about how like right away you were like, got to get a crib, like got to get a name, <laughs> all the things. Are you doing that this time around, too?
1: Well, I've been more hesitant this time because I feel like You know, it's natural to get attached to your baby before they're even born. And I was very much attached last time and very into the process and really enjoying it. And I have been scared to do that thus far. Lauren is scared because her pregnancy last year
0: ended in a devastating diagnosis. Her fetus was developing without a brain. And Lauren lives just outside Dallas, Texas. So when she got this news, she was on her own. Her doctors couldn't help her get an abortion, even if they wanted to, which they didn't. She had to fly across the country to seek help. Now that she's pregnant again, it feels surreal.
1: I've gotten to a point where my doctors are like, you know, you've you've hit all your milestones. You're good. Just enjoy the process now. You shouldn't have any issues.
0: Oh, God, that must be such a relief for you. Like when they said that to you, I don't know. I might have cried.
1: Oh, I did. Yeah. I. Uh, the first time I saw a baby's heart beating, I cried. First time I saw, you know, everything with the head was good. I cried. I was so thankful.
0: Yeah. Do you feel safe as
1: a pregnant person in Texas? No. No, I do not. And that makes me really sad <laughs> because I, I feel that. I'm that the law doesn't protect me if uh, issues were to arise again. I have a new OB this time who's wonderful, but she has told me, like, you know, she's like, I'm not going to leave you to fend for yourself, but if something were to happen, once again, you are going to have to leave the state. There is nothing anybody here will do. So I don't feel safe. I feel like my life isn't worth protecting as long as there's as long as I'm pregnant.
0: And that is why Lauren filed a first-of-its-kind lawsuit to try to change Texas' abortion laws. When I asked her why she didn't just
1: leave Texas instead, she quoted a favorite writer of hers. I refuse to live in a Texas like this, and I'm not leaving, ever. And that's how I feel. Today on the show... Texas's abortion bans
0: traumatized Lauren Hall. So now, she's taking the politicians defending them to court. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, Lauren Hall describes her upbringing in Dallas County, Texas, by saying it's not just that she heard a lot of conservative Christian opinions growing up. It's that they were the only opinions most of the adults in her life held. She even attended a school that was based out of her local
1: church. In spite of all that, she always had a few questions. I distinctly remember being in high school and being in our, quote, sex ed class, which was At the end of it, they wanted everybody to sign abstinence cards, like purity cards, and I wouldn't do it. And not because I had some intention of going out and having sex. I just thought that that was ridiculous. And I'm like, I'm 15 years old. I'm not going to commit to something like that (laughs) at this young age. I'm like, that's absolutely ridiculous. So I wouldn't do it.
0: What happened when you did that? Were people like, yeah, or were people like, whoa?
1: Yeah, I was already considered really weird in high school. Uh, so I, uh, everybody was kind of like, yeah, that's about right. I was like an emo kid, you know, and everybody, everybody thought I was gay and that I like cut myself. And like, I was just this really, I don't know. I, I was like a mystery to everybody. And it was really weird. Everybody just assumed the worst about me. And I just kind of embraced it. After some time at that private school where she felt like an emo
0: outsider, Lauren switched over to the public school and found a kindred spirit who invited her to join his lunch group to play Magic the Gathering, a tabletop card game about wizards. He later became her husband, and Lauren started working as a nurse. And in the spring of last year, they decided it might be time for them to start trying to grow their family. Lauren went off hormonal birth control that had been bugging her for years
1: and decided that whatever happened next was fate. I kept taking pregnancy tests, and I'd nothing, nothing, nothing. And then one day it turned and said pregnant. And I was like, oh, (laughs) but we were really happy. Yeah.
0: The Texas Tribune, when they wrote about your story, they said you were so surprised and happy. You sort of like stumbled over your pants were still down around your ankles. Yeah.
1: I like poked my head in the home office that we work in. And I was like, are you busy? And he was like, no. And I just kind of slid the test over to him on his desk. How did he react? Oh, he was really surprised, too. But Once the shock wore off, you know, we were really excited.
0: Yeah. I mean, right away, were you planning? What were you doing? Oh, yeah.
1: I got full into, like, making Pinterest boards and stuff. I was so excited.
0: (laughs) I know that you had to choose who your OB would be. How did you make Mm -hmm. that decision?
1: Very poorly. (laughs) uh, There's only two OB clinics in our town. Wow. It was Good Friday, when I was calling around trying to get an appointment. And the larger clinic was closed that day, and this clinic was not. So I'm like, all right, I guess that's who I'm going with. And I made an appointment.
0: What did you know about them when you chose them? Just that they were
1: close? Yeah, they're super close to my house. Um, I had looked online at some stuff and saw something about they were part of some pro-life obstetrician group here in Texas. And I was like, well, that sucks," but. You know, I don't think that's going to be a problem. Like, <laughs> I don't need an abortion. I need somebody to catch this baby. So,
0: yeah, I feel you. When did you find out that something was wrong with the baby?
1: At our 18 uh, week anatomy scan. What happened? Um. So we went in. I don't know how things work in other states, but at least here you go to a maternal fetal specialist for your anatomy scan And if everything's going well, that's like the first and last time you'll see them. And then you just continue with your OB. Right. So we go in for the scan and, um, you know, the sonographer's doing her thing. She um, says that, you know, we're just going to do the abdominal. We don't need to do the vaginal ultrasound. And I'm like, that's great. And then she gets, you know, she's looking around and then she's like, "Ah, I think we're going to go ahead and do the vaginal. And I immediately was like, why? Hmm. She was like, it's just routine. And I was like, I don't believe that, but okay. Because I had seen, I could see the pictures on the screen from what she was doing. And I thought briefly, I was like, or did we just not see, like, did did the imaging not catch the entire head? Like, what is going on? Because we could see legs, arms, heartbeat, everything. I'm like, okay, well, unless there's something wrong, she wouldn't need to do vaginal because you can see everything here. Oh, no. Yeah, um so I think what really like upset me too was the sonographer. She she obviously knew something was wrong, but she's like congratulations and then leaves the room and I'm like mm, something's something's not right. It was
0: like a forced cheeriness.
1: Yeah, I was like that's gross, but whatever. So, you know, I look at my husband and I'm like something's wrong and he was like, "Ah, you know, that's just they're just doing what they do. And I was like, no, something's n- like, this is not normal. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Because I, he's just like, you're just being anxious. So. <laughs> and you're like, both things can be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, por qué no los dos. Um, so they come in and they start the vaginal ultrasound. Doctor looks very briefly and then just kind of yanks the thing out. Didn't feel good. Oh. Sonographer, like, really quietly leaves the room. And the doctor's like, okay, well, there's something wrong with baby. And she, like, kind of holds my hand. And I'm like, oh, God. Um, And I'm just completely, like, I'm not even breathing at this point. And she, you know, says baby has anencephaly. Um, Explained what it was. Said not compatible with life. And I felt like I kind of just blacked out at that point. Anencephaly is a condition where
0: the baby's brain and skull don't form properly. It's a lethal diagnosis. At that moment, as their future came crashing down, Lauren needed her husband to step in and make sense of the upsetting news and figure out next steps.
1: He immediately pressed the doctor. What do we do? She straight up told us, she said, it's this is not, you're not going to get the care you need here. She said, if you choose to, You can carry for as long as you will. It's you're likely going to end up miscarrying. And if you do go to term, like the baby's gonna be stillborn. She said, You can't you can't get help here. You have to leave. And he's like, Wait, 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 wait. And I kinda at at that point I'm like (laughs) through through my hysteria, I'm like, This is what I told y'all was gonna happen (laughs) if this got overturned. Like this was gonna impact everybody. Because this ultrasound was just right after Roe versus Wade was overturned, right? Two weeks, two weeks after. Wow. Yeah, and he's trying to rationalize. He's like, they this is different. Like, this is an emergency." Like, should... and I looked at him and I was like, "It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They're not gonna consider that. We have to go." Was that
0: kind of a moment of realization for your husband? Like he'd, like, were you watching him realize in real time?
1: I was, because um, you know he's. We each have our own opinions about everything. And he, he's not, I I wouldn't say he would consider himself in the pro life camp before this, but he, you know, was like, oh, well, I don't really like the idea of abortion being used as birth control. And I've always told him, like, well, that's not really the reality of what goes on. This was like, (laughs) like a dawning on him. And he was like, oh my God, this is for real. Like, this is actually, this is what the bands can do. Yeah. And it's impacting us now, you know, and we're, I mean, this might sound crass to say, but it's like, you know, we're the heterosexual monogamous straight couple here, white couple that Texas wants to protect and they want this family structure and this is what they want. And it's like, is this, is this what you want? Like, we're having to flee the state. Did you ever
0: consider continuing the pregnancy?
1: Honestly, no, I didn't. I was in such a bad mental state after that. I was like, there's no way. There's no way. Because at that point, you're just waiting for something to go wrong. And that's absolute agony. How do you live like that? I couldn't do it. You know, I lived down the street from a hospital. I almost walked myself down there just to be like, I need a tranquilizer. I need something. I cannot be awake right now.
0: I read that you were actually scared to do that because you realized if you told them why you were so upset it would then open this can of worms of like what do these people know about me could they tell someone
1: exactly um and i mean this was a hospital that i used to work at so it's like i knew people there they knew me but i don't know who to trust in a situation like this like who's going to be the one that calls that freaking tip line that they've set up to turn people in i don't know
0: Other than your husband, who did you tell what you were going through?
1: We told our parents, um, who uh, his family immediately was like, yeah, you need to go. My mom at first was like, well, you need to seek a second opinion. You need to do this. You need to do that. that." After I showed her the ultrasound images and was like, this is the reality of the situation, she agreed. She was like, yeah, this isn't going to work.
0: What was it about the ultrasound images that was so clear?
1: There was nothing above the eyes at all. It was completely empty above the eyes. There was no cranium at all up there.
0: So you told your families, and you go home from this sonogram feeling like you need to leave the state. How did you even start researching those kinds of options?
1: Well, first what I did was Immediately after this appointment, I was trying to reach my OB. This was on a Friday afternoon when this happened, and his office closed uh, at noon on Fridays. And I was like, no problem. There should be, you know, an uh, on-call line, somebody I can talk to. Well, they don't have one of those, it turns out. I couldn't Hmm. reach anybody. So, yeah, I, I didn't hear from him for, I think, what was it, 11, 12 days total that Monday morning, we showed up to the clinic, like, demanding to be seen. Like, you just drove to the doctor's office. Yeah, we were there when they unlocked the doors. Um, what did like, you say? we're going to deal with this. Uh, told them the situation. Well, my husband dealt with most of it because I was, again, just a disaster. Told them the situation. They were like, well, he's out of town and we only have one other doctor here. And, like, you know. And they just... I don't know. They were very attached. They were very careful with their words. So we left there not speaking to a provider. Immediately went home, started researching our options. I got a call from one of the providers later that afternoon. But, you know, they were like, it's your choice. You know, there are, you know, support groups for people who decide to carry anencephalic babies to term, though. And I was like, yeah. This
0: was your doctor's office.
1: Yes. This wasn't my OB. It was somebody else at the clinic that called. But uh, yes.
0: So their recommendation was a support group.
1: Yes, pretty much. And, you know, I, my response was, so my water breaks and I'm bleeding, but there's still a heartbeat. Then what? Then what? Like, you're not going to help me. <laughs> so, but I looked around and I found this clinic in Seattle and that specifically um, stated that they have you know, support and care for women who are having to do this for fetal abnormalities. Like they have grief counselors, they have memorial options, things like that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I, I need that empathy right now. So that's what we're going to do.
0: Yeah, because it doesn't sound like you were getting it in Texas.
1: Oh, absolutely not. It was just fear, just fear response is all we got. How did you afford all
0: this? I mean, flying to Seattle last minute from Dallas, it's a lot.
1: It is. uh, We have credit cards, thankfully, (laughs) and some savings, um, but that our families also chipped in a lot to help us. Did any of your
0: relatives express to you like their confusion that you were being put in this situation?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think that's a big problem is that there's people who, you know, on the right who support the ban, not even realizing that there's not allowances for situations like this.
0: Yeah, I mean, Attorney General Ken Paxton went into federal court and basically said this out loud. He said the procedure is only legal, an abortion is only legal once a doctor becomes certain that without it the patient will die or lose a major bodily function, which is not defined. and a doctor charged with terminating a pregnancy before this point faces up to 99 years imprisonment if prosecuted and convicted. So what's interesting is like it's not even, it's not a secret. But at the same time, everyone just assumes like, well, it won't happen to me.
1: Right. And there's a lot of people too who say, well, but the law allows for situations like yours. Well, I guess on a technicality, yeah, but it's not, It's too vague to cover anybody who would actually end up in that situation. Like, what what does life-threatening mean to one doctor versus another? It's completely up in the air, and they're not willing to risk their livelihood on a guess. And, And yeah, that's something I heard even from, you know, distant family members. Well, you know, a good Christian doctor will help you. It's like, no, that's literally the opposite of what's happening. Nobody here will help. Not until I am dying.
0: After the break, Lauren flies halfway across the country to seek an abortion, only to cross paths with protesters from her own home state. In the latest season of Blind Spot from WNYC Studios and the History Channel, join host Kai Wright as he travels back to a pivotal moment in the history of this country. Decades before COVID 19, a virus tore through some of our most vulnerable communities while the wider world looked away. Throughout the season, you'll meet people who demanded that they and their illness be seen mothers, children, doctors, nurses, nuns, and sex workers. All leading to a woman who literally helped change the definition of AIDS. Blind spot, the plague in the shadows. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Today in the Middle East, happens in Ukraine has consequences for what's happening. AI. Hello, listeners. I'm Gabrielle Sierra, host of the Why It Matters podcast from the Council on Foreign Relations. Look, the world of international affairs can feel overwhelming and complex but it also shapes our lives every single day. So it pays to know what's going on out there. Why It Matters is a foreign policy podcast for the rest of us. And with a little bit of humor and a lot of questions, we're here to break down global topics and bring the world home to you. So join us every two weeks on Why It Matters wherever you listen. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law, and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output bringing you weekly episodes from here on in because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of donald trump the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights the supreme court's latest slate of environmental gutting gun safety eviscerating cases on the docket so follow amicus wherever you get your podcasts new episodes dropping every saturday morning
0: When you arrived at the clinic in Washington state, I read that there were protesters there and that you could tell some of them were from Texas and they were yelling stuff like baby killers.
1: I, uh, I found out they were from Texas by the, the uh, people inside the clinic. They said they had huh. been bused in by a church. But yeah, that was like the betrayal of the century. I'm like, wow, really people from my same state came out here. Now, d- they didn't come out there for me. They were just there in general. But um. That that was pretty gross. I read you flipped them off. Oh, I did, 100%. I, I, probably, I had to stop my husband from pulling the car over and really making a problem.
0: He was pissed at this point.
1: He was furious for a lot of reasons. But, I mean, to, for us to have to go through all this, just to have people wave pictures of dead babies at us and scream at us when we get to what's supposed to be the safe haven, like, it's just too much.
0: What was it like inside the clinic
1: um, to get inside was difficult because they had like literal steel doors and cameras and you had to buzz in and then somebody had to escort you inside. But everybody in there was so kind. Um, they took us to like a, I guess like a special room for our situation that was like very comfortable, nice recliners and everything. They, they made it as comfortable as they could.
0: When Lauren returned to Texas, she had to decide how public to be with her story. Eventually, she decided as public as possible. First, she spoke to a reporter at the Texas Tribune. Then, the Center for Reproductive Rights reached out to see if she'd join their lawsuit, asking the state to make more explicit exceptions for women like her in their abortion ban. I asked Lauren why she would do this, relive one of the worst moments of her life, over and over again, with people like me.
1: Because I want people to consider the gray area and the broader impact of a total ban, and I think until they get hit in the gut with, you know, like, again, like, here's our nursery, here's our crib, here's what her name was going to be, I mean, I I feel like it's not going to have an impact until they can fully understand how many people it's going to hurt.
0: Yeah. I mean, I feel like you were failed by the politicians who represent you, but also by your physicians because you've described how absent they were after you got this devastating diagnosis. Like they wouldn't even release your medical records to your abortion provider is my understanding.
1: Yeah, the maternal fetal doctor told us that ahead of time. She's like, I can't send your records. They didn't want any paper trail, that they had been in communication with abortion clinics, nothing that could get them in trouble, which, you know, sucks, but I, I also kind of get it. It's like there's, with the law being as vague as it is, it, it just causes fear. They don't know what they can, how much they can help or how much they can do before it becomes a problem.
0: So why wouldn't you want to bring the medical professionals to court too what's the thinking there
1: because again it's like as as much as i feel kind of personally slighted by them i i do think that their hands were tied i mean it's and it's not just my doctor that would have said no it's any doctor in texas right now won't do it so you'd have to sue every doctor in texas if you sue just one of them for that
0: I know that your lawsuit is seeking clarification on the various abortion rules that exist in Texas. You're basically asking for exceptions to this existing abortion law. I wonder if you ever considered or said to the lawyers or amongst each other as plaintiffs, like, why can't we go bigger? Why can't we overturn this thing? Like, why are we seeking just clarifications?
1: I think that with the political environment in Texas, the way it is, where we do have st- such staunch support for a total ban, we got to start small. You got to start somewhere, even if it's just asking for clarification on the law that's already there. It's hard to tell
0: what will come of Lauren's case, but there have already been promising results, strangely, in other states. Just last week, the Oklahoma Supreme Court was considering their abortion ban, which is a lot like Texas's, and they took a dramatic step. They ruled to allow medical providers to perform an abortion, not just if a woman's life is in imminent danger, but if her life could be endangered later on in the pregnancy. That's important because it means physicians don't have to wait until a pregnant person is ill to help them. Part of the reason the court did this is
1: because of stories like Lauren's. Our case was referenced in the Oklahoma Supreme Court, and they've made. They're working on changes to broaden the scope of treatment for um, fetal abnormalities and issues in pregnancy to not have to force people out of state. So there's already been a positive impact, and I'm, I'm hopeful that that will continue here in Texas and anywhere else that there's a ban. Either way, you know, I'm proud of what we're doing, and whatever the the outcome, I'll be grateful that I was involved.
0: Hmm. I know that at this point, you're mostly speaking to Texas politicians through the legal system with your lawsuit. But if you could sit down and talk with someone like governor Greg Abbott or attorney general, Ken Paxton, people who have blamed incidents like what happened to you not on the abortion ban in your state, but on doctors. What would you want to say? Like, what would you most want to know? Maybe you just want to scream for like a half an hour. I don't know.
1: I would want them to just consider, like, would they want their own family to go through something like this and look, look over that law and tell me that that's clear enough for a doctor to stake their license on? It's just not.
0: Lauren Hall, I'm super grateful for your time, and I'm really happy that you're in this expectant place. Good luck. Thank you so much. Lauren Hall is one of five plaintiffs suing the state of Texas over its abortion bans. And that's the show. If you're a fan of what we're doing here at What Next, the best way to support us is to go ahead and join Slate Plus— it's our membership program. It comes with all kinds of great stuff, like all access to slate.com and ad free listening on podcasts just like this one. Go on over to slate.com slash What Next Plus and sign up. What Next is produced by Elena Schwartz, Anna Phillips, Paige Osborne, and Madeline Ducharme. We're getting a ton of support right now from Laura Spencer. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little boost from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary Harris. Go track me down on Twitter. Say hello. I'm at Mary's desk. Thanks for listening. Talk to you tomorrow. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club.